We started a little series last week on the soul and, and this idea that we are designed actually to live from the inside out, not the outside in. And of course, the world in which we live, with all of its stress, with all of its anxiety, with all of social media, news, and all of these kinds of things, so often we take all of our inputs from the outside and they affect the inside. But Jesus, God teaches us in his word that actually as a follower of Jesus, you're designed to live from the inside out. That, that there's this place inside of you, there's this soul, the heart and soul of who you are is designed to be connected to the source of life, designed to be connected to God. And God wants us to live from that place. Uh, but, uh, and so we recognize that, that this is where we're supposed to live from. This is our home. This is God's presence and being in his presence and being mindful and aware of his presence. I so appreciated what David said earlier that, that God's presence is always with us, but how often we forget. How often we try in our own strength. How often we kind of go after it, kind of, um, you know, well, I'll just knuckle down. I'm just going to try a little harder, and I'm going to push through, and hopefully that will work out. How's that working for you? It's a struggle. In fact, uh, maybe you've played this game, or maybe you got up and played it with your kids, you know, but the game of life. How many of you remember uh, the game of life, right? How many of you like the game of life? In fact, I think I have a picture of it. Uh, the game of life. And I love the little caption in the bottom right-hand corner. It says, your life, your way. Don't you wish that life was just that easy? Your life, your way, right? In fact, that's how many of us Certainly all of us desire, right? Like, man, I want to live my life my way. But, but what, we wrestle, what we recognize is that when we try to live our life our way, it gets us in all kinds of trouble. And the reason why is because you and I, as followers of Jesus, as human beings, we were actually designed to live from the inside out, and the inside being the soul connected to the source, which is God. And if we will uh, follow his will, his way, right? Life goes not always the way we want it, but life goes as God intended. In fact, that's where the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction comes from is learning to live from the inside out, learning to live from this place of being connected to Jesus. Because when you try in your own strength, no matter how hard you try, you will fail. We fall short. I don't know anyone that life has figured has been totally perfect for them. And Jesus actually in John chapter 14, we're going to spend a little bit of time in John chapter 14 this morning, because in John chapter 14, Jesus at the end, as he's approaching the cross, he's on his way to the cross, he gathers this group of, this motley crew of disciples that he's been trying to kind of disciple and teach the kingdom of God and teach the way of life, help them to understand that they're supposed to live life from the inside out, right? And this motley crew of disciples have been with Jesus for some three years. They've lived with him. They've ate with him. They've seen him calm storms. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him walk on water. Like they've seen all the stuff that you and I wish we could see, right? And yet they're still trying to chop off ears. They're still trying to push the kids away, right? They're still trying to call down fire from heaven on their enemies. Like they're not getting how they're supposed to be living life. And so Jesus gathers the disciples and, uh, and he shares some thoughts with them as they are about to, as he's about to go to the cross and, and eventually he would rise from the dead and, and ascend into heaven. And this is what Jesus tells us uh, and tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 20. He says, now remember, this is at the end of his time with them. He's about to go. He's about to leave them. 
And, and I don't know about you, but I would be pretty scared, right? I mean, here you've had these disciples that have been with Jesus, the most amazing person to ever walk the planet. They've seen all this amazing stuff. They're not quite getting it, and they're trying to figure out where's all this stuff going to go. And this is what Jesus said. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Isn't that interesting? If you're reading your Bible, another advocate. So there must have been a first advocate, and now there's another advocate. And it goes on, and he says, he will never leave you. So Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is about to uh, give his life. Jesus will, will obviously rise from the dead, and then he's with them for some 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven, and he's going to leave them. But Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper or another advocate, and I'll never leave you. I'm always going to be with you. And he goes on, he says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, and this is so, such a cool verse, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Skip down to verse 25. Jesus continues. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring, you, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts, there's that word, be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. And what Jesus is painting, a picture that Jesus is painting here, is that Jesus is recognizing these disciples that have been with him for three years, right? They've seen him do all this amazing stuff. He's about to depart. But what Jesus says is, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not abandoning you as an orphan. I'm going to send another helper or another advocate. And it's an interesting moment in the life of the disciples because I think effectively what Jesus was saying is that your own efforts aren't good enough, now that, that might, maybe I offended some people in there this morning. I don't know, you know. Has anyone ever looked at you and said, you know, your own efforts aren't good enough. Your best isn't good enough. Can you imagine Nike? I don't think Nike would be the company it is if they, their slogan was Nike, your best ain't good enough. No, no, it's Nike. No, no, you can do it. You dare to dream, right? You do you. Believe in you. If you believe it, you can do it, Right? I believed I could fly, but that didn't, no. The point that I'm simply trying to make is that what Jesus was trying to help his disciples to understand is that your best efforts aren't good enough. But this is what's so amazing. Two things that we learn from this passage. Number one is that, that not, not just that your best efforts aren't good enough, but what we learn is that Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you to your own devices. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you a new operating system. 
So what, what we recognize from this passage is that, and I, I love that, and if you mark your Bibles, I encourage you to do that because it's such an encouragement to us, is to recognize that if it's about, if our soul is, if we're supposed to operate from the inside out, if our soul is supposed to find its source in God, if our home is in God's presence, then God wants us to clearly understand that it's not about doing it in your own strength and your own efforts. It's about surrendering to God and recognizing that he has adopted you as a son and as a daughter into his family. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand in this passage is that I'm not abandoning you to your own efforts. It's not like Jesus rescues you. It's not like, you know, someday I kind of just understand that Jesus died on the cross and he forgives me of my sin and then he leaves me to my own devices. In fact, that's what Paul was actually dealing with in the book of Galatians. He actually wrote this to these Christian brothers and sisters at the church of Galatia. And he said, why have you so quickly departed from the truth that you first understood? In other words, why are you trying in your own strength, in your own effort to live this thing out called life? When Jesus clearly makes it really, really clear in this passage to his disciples that I'm not leaving you, abandoning you as orphans. I'm not leaving you to your own devices. I'm not going to leave you to struggle and to figure this thing called life out in your own strength. What God's inviting us into is is inviting us into an adopted relationship with him. What Jesus is saying in this passage is that I'm adopting you as a son and as a daughter. You have a new identity. You have a new mark upon your life. You have the family name. You live out of that relationship. But he goes on and he says this. It's not just that you have a new identity. He goes on and he says, my presence will go with you. I'm giving you another advocate. Jesus doesn't just adopt us as sons and daughters. Jesus effectively gives us a new operating system. In fact, look what Jesus said in John chapter 14. I'm reading verse 25. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See what Jesus is doing there. He's saying, I'm giving you my personal presence, the Holy Spirit, so that you're not left to your own devices, so that you're not trying to struggle and strive in your own strength in this thing called life. That if your soul is at home in his presence, this is the very thing that Jesus is giving to us right here. In fact, look what he said in John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, so he's speaking to the disciples once more, saying, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand that not only have you been adopted as a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ, and now you've got to figure this stuff all out on your own. Jesus is saying, I've adopted you as my, as my son and my daughter, but I've also given to you my presence. My personal presence will be with you. And so we see Jesus doing it here. And when Jesus breathes on his disciples, doesn't that remind you of what David taught us last week? 
That, that in Genesis chapter one, we recognize that, that um, let us create mankind in our image. And so that Jesus took, or God took great care to form human beings, right? Like he assembled, it was like, let it be, let it be, but let us make. You are handcrafted by God. In Genesis chapter two, what does it say? It says that the man was formed, but it wasn't until God breathed into the human being that he came alive. Point being, you are designed for God's presence. You're designed not to live life in your own strength, struggling and striving, trying to connect this inner part of who you are to God. God says, I will actually give you my presence. There's this beautiful story in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 15 Abraham is considering the promise that God made to him. God made him a promise. Him and his wife weren't able to have any kids, and God made him a promise and said that your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, and nothing had happened. And it says one night that, that Joe, or, uh, Abraham is sitting in his tent reflecting on this promise. When's it ever going to happen? He's looking at the stars probably and thinking about this promise that God made him. And here's what God says to him. God doesn't say, here's when it's going to happen. God doesn't, God simply says this, I am your shield and great reward. In other words, my presence with you is the reward. My presence with you is what you were designed for. And so God, once again, we see this all throughout scripture, that you and I as followers of Jesus are designed to live from the inside out, but that inside has to be constantly connected to the source, to the presence of God. And the beauty of what Jesus is teaching us is that God's, Jesus says, I'm giving you my personal presence. I'm giving you another helper. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is what Paul picks up on in Galatians. And I don't have time to read it, uh, but you can go read it on your own. But if you just go read Galatians chapter 5 alone, it says in Galatians chapter 5 that you are to walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. You're to follow or keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit, it's God's personal presence with us that ought to be leading us, and we're the ones that then walk it out or follow. My son... Um, Aiden, many of you know, he's in New York City. Uh, he goes to Parsons, which apparently is the number one fashion design school in the world. There's one in New York City and one in Paris. He ended up in New York City. I was hoping it might be Paris. Actually, I wasn't hoping for either, to be honest with you. What happened, uh, he graduated from Bible college, and I believe he's the first graduate of the Bible college to go, ever go on to fashion school. He also happens to be the first person in his program uh, at fashion school that has an undergrad in theology. How many of you know that's something that only God could do? And so he's about to graduate Bible college, and I'm just like, you know what? Let's play it safe. Go to George Fox, get your MBA. It's going to be awesome, you know? And Aiden comes back to me, and he's like, Dad, um, I really feel like God wants me to go to fashion school. I'm like, oh, man. You know, and he's creative and he's a storyteller and, and, and I now know better. I now know what's good. And so being the wise parent that I am, um, because as your kids get older, you let somebody else say no. And so I thought, sure, go ahead. Apply to the number one fashion design school in the world with your undergrad in theology from Portland Bible College. They're definitely going to accept you. <laughs> Thinking, God, uh, you got this, you know. 
And sure enough, he writes, he does this application that, you know, I actually helped him with a little bit because I'm like, there's no way they're even going to read that. Like, are you kidding me, you know? And don't you know that he gets accepted with his undergrad from theology at Portland Bible College, he gets accepted to the number one fashion design school in the world. And I'm sitting thinking to myself, God, that's only something you could do, isn't it? But here's the problem. The problem now is that we have a month until he's supposed to, like he has to find a place to live in New York City. Well, my wife has a dream that this guy by the name of John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York City, and he writes all these books, and, and you know, he's kind of one of those, he's a super humble guy, actually, but you know, how, I don't know that guy, that's never going to happen, but my wife has this dream that John Tyson, this pastor in New York City, is going to help Aiden get settled in the city. Well, about three weeks later, maybe, no, maybe a couple of weeks later, I'm at this prayer thing that I got invited to, and there's like 30 pastors at it, and John Tyson's there. And so I'm like, shoot, I may as well go talk to John Tyson, you know? So, hey, we used to live in New York. My son's going to fashion school there, you know? He's like, yeah, he says, I know that school, man. They eat kids for lunch, you know, their faith. You know, they just eat their lunch for, or eat their faith for lunch. Anyway, so, uh, so anyway, we're in this conversation. At the end of the conversation, John Tyson, and I'm not kidding you. I'm, I'm going to quote him verbatim. Hey, I want to provide a personal concierge service for your son and help him get settled in the city. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so, so through him, Aiden gets connected to his roommates who go to the church, and then he can't get a job in New York City, right? What are you talking about? You can't get a job in New York City. God had a plan. He ends up in this cohort with John Tyson, who becomes like this spiritual father to him in this kind of season where he's transitioning uh, into life in New York City. And I have watched my son grow. I have watched my son plug into his purpose. I have watched my son become the man that he has become because he chose to be a person who would walk by the Spirit, who would follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, even though his dad wanted him to play it safe. His spiritual father said, no, my presence goes with him. I'll lead him. I'll guide him. In fact, this week, and it might be kind of weird, but this week he got a direct message from one of his classmates who he kind of knows, and she says, hey, I'm wondering if you can help me. Uh, I'm a Jewish, pagan, Buddhist witch from the Upper West Side, and I'm studying the tree of life for something I'm doing at school, and I think that you might know something a little bit more than I do. And I have watched my son because he's being led by the Spirit. He's choosing to follow the presence of God in his life. I'm watching God use him in unbelievable ways. This is how we're supposed to live our lives. We're not supposed to be carnal Christians living from the outside in. We're supposed to be spiritually minded Christians living from the inside out. And we get to do that because God's personal presence, his Holy Spirit, is with us. And so the question is, because we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. In fact, sometimes it gets a little bit kind of He's either forgotten. In fact, one, one commentator says that the Holy Spirit is like the Cinderella of the Trinity. Didn't get invited to the theological ball. Jesus I know, God I know, but the Holy Spirit, nah, I'm not so sure, right? And so sometimes we forget him. Sometimes it can be frightening. And, and the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us, and he's forming us into the image of Jesus. And so who is the Holy Spirit? I want to leave us with three quick thoughts on who the Holy Spirit is. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. 
The Holy Spirit isn't a force. The Holy Spirit isn't an influence. In fact, if you believe the Holy Spirit is a force, I would say your theology has been more informed by Star Wars than the Bible. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God's personal presence. He is with us. In fact, we recognize this because in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and they had sold a piece of property, they'd committed something, and they held it back. And it says that Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? To keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, you have not lied to man, you have lied to God. And look what it says. It's simply this. You can't lie to an impersonal entity. The Holy Spirit is, has a pronoun. He is a person. And we discover from that little passage and others that, that he is a person, but we also recognize in this passage that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And that's the second thing that we learn, is that the Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. In fact, the passage that we just read through in John chapter 14, you see Jesus reference God the Father, himself, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and we, last week when David kicked off the series, we used this, that verse out of Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, let us create. Who's the us? The us is the Trinity. The us is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there's a little diagram that, that helps us to understand that God eternally exists as one essence in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Each one fully God, but existing as one God. And so we recognize from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we believe in God, one God, right? But we recognize throughout the Bible that there seems to be these three distinct persons, though they are one in essence. And they're distinct. The Holy Spirit isn't Jesus, and Jesus isn't the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we get kind of a little bit confused uh, by all that and try to understand, well, wh who is this? How does all this work? And, 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 but what we need to recognize is that the God, triune God, exists in perfect community or perfect communion and they're all working together to accomplish the purpose of God. I'm going to show you a diagram in just a minute. But, but what we need to understand is that Jesus isn't trying to calm down super angry God, the Father, right? And the Holy Spirit isn't like somebody like Casper the friendly ghost trying to just make everybody happy and smile. They're not disconnected from each other. They're one one in essence, one in communion, one in purpose. They're working together to accomplish a purpose in your and my life, to accomplish a purpose here on earth. What we recognize is that, that and I want to throw up this diagram so that you guys can see it. The top of my screen's cut off, so I'll have to turn it around. But I want us to understand that, that the Holy Spirit actually plays an intimate and important role in the purpose and plan of God. That, that 
God the Father executes the plan through Jesus. And if you go read Colossians, it says that Jesus is the one. God had a plan to create the planet, right? To create humanity, to create all of creation. And if you go read Colossians 1, it says that it's Jesus that's executing that. It's Jesus that's helping that be accomplished. And he sends the Spirit, and the Spirit points to Jesus, um, who does the will of, the heavenly, of, of his heavenly Father, so what we recognize, just keep that up for a minute, is that, that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all working in perfect harmony and perfect unity with one another. We recognize that the Holy Spirit is God. It's not Jesus and God the Father and then the Holy Spirit. No, 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 they're equal. They're all working towards the same end in perfect harmony and perfect unity. It's a little bit like I'm Gareth, I'm Gareth the husband, I'm Gareth the father, and I'm Gareth the pastor. I have a couple of different functions, but it's one but three essence. And we need to recognize that if we're supposed to live from the inside out, and if our soul is at home in God's presence, what Jesus is helping us understand is that I'm sending you my personal presence, the Holy Spirit, so that you can live and operate a spiritual life, not a carnal spiritual life. We're supposed to live out of God's presence. We're supposed to live in his presence. We're supposed to live not left to our own devices, not left abandoned as orphans, but those who are adopted and whose God's personal presence is always with us. And so God, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but we also recognize that the Holy Spirit is God's personal presence with us. John 14, 17, I'm going to end with this. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be in you. What God was trying to help us, or what Jesus was trying to help us understand is that you're not left to your own devices, but God gives you the helper, the Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus said in verse 16. I will ask the Father, there it is, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus asks his Father to send the Holy Spirit to be with you forever. And how often we forget that. How often we try to live life in our own strength. How often we try to just kind of muscle, you know, kind of knuckle down, I'll try a little harder, I'm going to press through in my own strength. When all the while Jesus is pointing to us or, or calling us, saying, come aside, recognize that I'm not leaving you to your own devices. I'm giving you my personal presence. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. In fact, that word there, another helper or another advocate, interestingly, another, Jesus is your first advocate. Because of what Jesus has done for you on the cross, you can be saved. You can be made into a new creation. In fact, when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous because he looks at you through the cross. He looks at you through his son, Jesus. That's why over 150 times in the New Testament, Paul says, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ, you're in Christ. But Jesus says, it's not just that I've advocated for you. In fact, Jesus sits on the right hand of his father interceding for you. But Jesus says, I send you another advocate. That word advocate in the Greek is parakletos. And, 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 and the Greek word has two pictures to it. And the, and the first picture is simply this. It's, it's, in fact, it was used of Roman soldiers because Roman soldiers would never go out to battle one, uh, one at a time. They would always go out in pairs of two. 
because they would be back to back. And so here they are in a fierce battle, but they've got somebody that's protecting their backside. They've got somebody that's looking out for them. And I think God wants you to understand this morning that you're not designed to try and fight this battle in your own strength, but you're to recognize that there's somebody that's behind you. There's somebody that's watching over you. There's somebody that's fighting on your behalf. You have a part to play. You have to participate with. You've got to allow and spend time with the Holy Spirit in God's presence. But you have the parakletos with you. The second picture or the second reference, which is more commonly or more often used, is this idea, uh, the, the term advocate or parakletos, was this idea of a family attorney who was held on retainer. Now, how many of you have a family attorney that's held on retainer? Nobody? The people who need family attorneys held on retainer tend to be those who are getting in some trouble. Right? Just, because, just being honest. Right? Or... There's like complicated contracts that they need help trying to understand. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does in your life. This is what the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with you does. Is that how often do we get ourselves in trouble? How often do we sin? How often do we fall short? And you have another advocate that's saying, no, 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 they're adopted. No, 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 that's their God's son, their God's daughter. You have someone that's reminding you of who you are, of your new identity in Christ. But the other thing, it doesn't, and this is what's so beautiful. When God said, I'm going to send you another advocate, another helper, it's not just so that you can get out of trouble. It's so that you can truly understand the covenant, the contract, the commitment that you've been invited into with Jesus. One of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives is he reminds us of all the words of Jesus. Can I tell you how many times do we believe lies? I gotta figure this out on myself. I gotta try a little harder. I've gotta work this out. And and the enemy comes with guilt and shame lying to us all the time. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is reminding uh, uh, reminding us of his words. No, 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 you're adopted. No, you're not an orphan. No, you're not left to your own devices. You're my child. You've been forgiven. You've been delivered. You've been set free. Come on, get back up one more time. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to walk with you. You don't have to do this in your own strength. This is what God's calling us to. And this morning as we close, or this afternoon as we close, we're closing with this idea that God, you've been calling us. You've been beckoning us. You've been telling us, Lord, inviting us into your presence. And how often we forget, how often we try to do it in our own strength. And God, once more, he's coming to you and he's saying, hey, come on over. Come on, spend some time with me. David closed out last week by saying, when are you going to meet with God? Where are you going to meet with God? What are you going to do in that time, in that space? Start with some surrender. Start with God. I'm not my own. I belong to you. I've been purchased with a price. He wants you in his presence. Why? because that's where your soul's at home. And we're never going to do it in our own strength. So over the coming weeks, when we talk about abiding and devotion and surrender and all of these different practices of the soul, what we need to recognize is we're not doing it in our own strength. I'm not gonna try a little harder. No, 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 I'm actually starting with surrender. I'm starting with the recognition that God, you've invited me in and you've given me your personal presence. I don't do this in my own strength. I do this at your invitation. I do this because in response to that which you've initiated, 
but how often we forget. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you just to close your eyes. And I just think, man, we started in this place when we sang that song. We've already kind of prayed this prayer and said, Lord, you're welcome. But I think the place for us today to close is just coming right back to that space. Jesus, we, we have sensed your presence, Lord, and we know that you're always with us, but Lord Jesus, there's an awareness of your personal presence with us. Jesus, your disciples had been with you. They, they'd studied you. They knew you. They, man, they walked with you. But Lord, it was in that space, even having been with you, that Lord, you reminded them that you were going to give them the Holy Spirit, your personal presence. And so, Lord, I, I don't know any other way than just for us right now in this space, Lord, just to respond to your word. Lord, just to respond by saying, Lord, here we are. Lord, we can't try harder. Lord, our best isn't good enough. In fact, your word actually tells us that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So it's actually when we go the opposite direction to say, I'm actually weak. I can't do this. I can't kind of just put in some practices and try on my own strength. No, I need your presence. I need your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, it's in this moment right now that, Lord, we just first and foremost thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us so that we could be forgiven and adopted. But Lord, the good news doesn't end there because you then say that you give us your presence so that we might live from a different place. A place where we walk by the Spirit, we're led by the Spirit, we're filled by the Spirit, we follow the Spirit. Lord Jesus, life in your Spirit, life in your presence, living from that place. And so Jesus, just right now, we ask you, we invite you, Lord, we respond and just say, Lord, I want to live from that place. I want to be more aware of your presence leading and guiding me. And so, Lord, I just surrender. I just open up my heart, open up my life, Lord Jesus, and I ask that then you just lead us as you do. Lord, you initiate, we respond. Lord, we just follow the words of Paul. Lord Jesus, that we would follow you, follow your lead. So Lord, tomorrow when we wake up, Lord Jesus, would you just call us? And Lord, let us be then those who respond. Just like Moses, I'm stopping to see what's going on here. And Lord, would you then speak to us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? And don't leave us to our own devices. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said... Amen, amen.